We want to invite our children now to head out toward the back of the sanctuary. We have folks going to take them downstairs for Children's Church. Good group today. And then let's take a moment now to pray as they go. Father, we are so grateful that you love us with an everlasting love. And that has never been more plain than when we look at Jesus on the cross. And so today we pray that your amazing love would be so clear, so evident to every one of us as we look at this passage of Scripture. Lord, we, we confess that we feel so inadequate to even talk about this Scripture. And yet, your gospel, the life-giving gospel, is so clear in your love for every one of us. As we try to grasp what you endured, what you did for us, we pray that what we need to know, what we need to understand, that your spirit will make it plain to us. We just thank you for your mercy and your grace. And thank you for your presence here right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27. We're going to focus on verses 45 and 46 as we continue to think about the cross. And today, these two verses, the forsakenness of our sin that Jesus bore becomes so clear. And yet, what we look at today is also a great mystery. It's deeper than we can completely grasp. And yet, what we need to know is so plain. And so I hope that God will bless you and lead you as you look at what Jesus did in your behalf and for all people who will ever live. Look at uh, Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. I'm going to read on through to verse 46 just to get the, the full context of what happened here. Jesus had already been on the cross for three hours. He was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning, which was the third hour, the way the Jews reckoned time. 6 o'clock in the morning was the beginning of the day. And so from 9 to 12... He hung on the cross, suffering in the daylight. And then we pick up here in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, 
And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We look today in, in these verses, verses 45 and 46 in particular, at what is considered to be one of the great and mysterious passages. Now, when we say something is mysterious in the Bible, it doesn't mean it's entirely unknowable. That's not what, that's not what I mean by that. But it is something that we cannot get to the entire depth of. It is so amazing, so profound. And yet, we can understand enough to know what Jesus was doing for us. When he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on at that moment? What, what was happening for Jesus, God who became a man, the Son of God who was on that cross, what would cause him to cry out with those words? Well, what was happening were a number of things. We know the darkness of sin and death were about to descend on Calvary. What he was enduring there, he was doing for us. He wasn't just a man who had the misfortune of being condemned to death by the Romans. He wasn't dying for his own sin. The Bible says he was without sin. He never sinned. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We've looked at that verse. And so what was happening there was beyond just about Jesus himself or his life. It was about the whole world. It was about eternity. It was about the great issue of life and death. Sin and holiness. It was about your life and mine. The life of every person who will ever live. After hanging on the cross for three hours from 9 a.m. to 12, a miraculous darkness descended on the earth. Now, many of you were here about a year and a half ago. We had a, an eclipse, didn't we? And almost, we experienced an almost total eclipse, didn't we? For about two minutes and so many seconds here, we were about as close as anybody was to seeing that. And yet it was not absolute darkness, was it? Even in that moment. It became like night, but there was still, there was still some light. This was darkness. Utter darkness. On a scale that we have never experienced, unless you've been in a, a dark room that was totally black, maybe in that case, but I think it was even beyond that. And for three hours, this darkness covered the earth. Some try to explain it in some way that, well, it was just happened to be an eclipse that day while Jesus was on the cross. Well, that would be quite a coincidence. 
But I don't think it was just an eclipse. This was a miracle of God. And I, I tell you, it reminds us of what God had done before. What God did in Egypt. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that what he did in the ninth plague of Egypt, just before the Passover, the first Passover, the first Passover lamb slaughtered and the blood placed on the doorposts of the houses of the Israelites so the death angel would pass over their houses as the firstborn of Egypt died. You remember that? But what came just before that? The plague of darkness. Look in Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 to 23. Exodus 10, 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And it was on the heels of that plague of darkness that the Passover lamb was slain. And the blood of that lamb was applied to the homes of the Israelites so they would be preserved, so they would have life and not experience death. And so here, all of those years later, as the Lamb of God, who was taking away the sin of the world, as He hung on the cross, His blood to cover our sin, as that happened to Him, Darkness descended on the earth for three hours. Not three days, but for three hours. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God was saying in the sending of that darkness that the whole creation, the fallen creation, was identifying with what Jesus was doing. Because what does sin do? It separates us from God. It keeps us from the light. It keeps us trapped in darkness. And so as Jesus took our sin in his own body and hung there on the cross, the darkness of sin and death descended on the earth. And I think it was a darkness like was described in Exodus, a darkness that could be felt, a paralyzing darkness and that's the way many people live today they are in that kind of spiritual darkness they don't know what to do they don't know where to go so they just flail about they try this and they try that but they're like a person stumbling around in utter darkness because their sin dominates their life and they are separated from God well Jesus was taking all of that sin all of that guilt Upon himself, and darkness descended as he hung on the cross. Now, something else the darkness did, it covered the suffering Savior while he was covering our sin. You know, the, the, the death of crucifixion, it was not just about the physical suffering, 
as terrible and, and awful as that was, the nails, the scourging that preceded it, the struggle to breathe, because that's essentially in, in its final state, that's what crucifixion did. The person suffocated to death. And that's why they broke the legs, usually, of the person to hasten death. Because if their legs were broken, they could not push up on that nail that was in their feet to be able to, to expand their chest, to be able to breathe. And then they'd sink back down. And so it was this excruciating, ongoing experience of struggling to get one more breath to be able to survive one more time. And then eventually, when the person either wore out and could not push up, they would suffocate. Or if their legs were broken and could not push up, they would suffocate. They would die. Jesus' legs were not broken. He died when it was time, when he was finished. He gave up his life. When they came to him, he was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs. But Jesus here, it wasn't just that physical suffering, but it was this incredible humiliation that took place on the cross. Because we know from history that people were usually crucified without any clothing at all. Imagine the shame. Imagine the humiliation. Here this darkness descended for the last three hours that Jesus was on the cross. God used that darkness to cover that humiliation of his son. And yet, he was enduring the humiliation of our sin in his own body. Jesus suffering in your place, my sin, my guilt. He became my sin. He became your sin. And so, darkness had descended. And in the darkness... This great miracle happened. The great exchange took place. Jesus became sin for us. He was our substitute. And he was a perfect substitute. Because he was sinless. And so he could take my place. He could step into the place for me. Because he was not only a man dying. He was God who became a man. And so he had the miraculous power to truly take on the sin of the whole world. Your sin and mine. Destroying the power of sin. Paying for it. Now you say, why did, this, why did this have to happen? Why couldn't God just say, oh, don't worry about your sin? That is not the character of God. God does not change. God is who He is. And who is God? He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He cannot abide sin. And so instead of just doing away with us all, which we deserved, he would have been right in just consigning all people to hell for eternity. We didn't deserve anything good from God. But instead of doing that, because he loved us, he came to take our place in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why this is amazing love. The love of God undeserved, given to you and me. And in that darkness, Jesus, bearing our spiritual darkness, he became sin for us. This is the cup. 
This is the cup of suffering that Jesus peered into in the garden of Gethsemane. And he shrunk back from it and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went ahead and he drank that cup. And when he cried out right here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he was drinking the dregs, the bitter dregs of the bottom of that cup of our sin and guilt. He was experiencing the alienation, the separation from God that all sin creates. The Bible says that when we sin, we are alienated from God. We are at enmity with God. And something has to happen to change that. And the only thing that could happen was that God dealt with it himself. And that's what Jesus was doing. And so when he cried out, he was experiencing the forsakenness, the separation, the alienation of all sin for all time. The book of Hebrews says that he has once for all put away sin for us. And I think that's what was happening in that moment. Jesus was feeling, experiencing what sin does and how it separates from God. John MacArthur says, in this unique and strange miracle, Jesus was crying out in anguish because of the separation he now experienced from his heavenly Father for the first and only time in all of eternity. It is the only time of which we have record that Jesus did not address God as Father. Because the Son had taken sin upon himself, the Father, as it were, turned his back in that moment. That mystery is so great and imponderable that it is not surprising that Martin Luther is said to have gone into seclusion for a long time trying to understand it and came away as confused as when he began. In some way and by some means in the secrets of divine sovereignty and omnipotence, the God-man was separated from God for a brief time at Calvary. As the furious wrath of the Father was poured out on the sinless Son, who in matchless grace became sin for those who believe in Him. I really think that's what was going on. And yet it is beyond our ability to totally explain it. And yet we can appreciate. We can be filled with awe and gratitude that Jesus would love us even to the death of the cross. Jesus had stepped into the gap between us and God and took all of our sin, and he experienced in that moment the agony of being separated from God. What we would have experienced for all of eternity, and yet what we would have experienced just for ourselves, he was experiencing it for the whole world. All sin. In one moment of time. Imagine the weight of that. Imagine the darkness of that. Imagine the magnitude of that. And in that moment he cried out. He was paying our debt. Bearing our burden. Dying our death. 
suffering, our punishment, it all culminated in that one God-forsaken moment. He was forsaken. One other thing about this thing of the darkness. Darkness is also used to describe hell. Did you know that? We think about hell as being the place of fire and brimstone, and the Bible teaches that absolutely. And so when we think of fire, we think of light. And yet the Bible also describes hell at the same time as being a place of utter and outer darkness. Jesus used it himself in Matthew twenty-two, thirteen. He described people being consigned in one of his parables to outer darkness, the place of judgment, what we would call hell. And in Jude 1, 13, it's described as blackest darkness, the place of separation from God. We've never been in a place like that. Because, you see, it will be utter darkness and outer darkness because God will not be present. We have never been anywhere where God is not present. The presence of God is throughout this earth. We've never lived anywhere. The skeptic, the unbeliever has never lived anywhere on this earth devoid entirely of the presence of God. This is His creation. But someday there will be utter and outer darkness, separation from God for the person who has not received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It's not necessary for anybody to experience that. Why? Because Jesus experienced it for you. And that's what happened that day, in that moment, on the cross. He not only hung on the cross in darkness, he experienced outer darkness, spiritual separation from God for you so that you can be brought into the family of God. And that's the final thing as we think about these verses. Jesus was forsaken so we could be accepted. The choir just sang that in that song. We are accepted because Jesus was forsaken. You can be accepted into the family of God. You can be forgiven of your sin if you will only receive what Jesus has already bought and paid for for you. That's why he went to that cross and suffered as he did. That's why he rose from the dead. And because he was forsaken, we can be accepted. I close with the words of a great hymn that we sing sometimes, At the Cross. At the cross, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? That's what the original said, for such a worm as I. And compared to the glory and majesty and sinlessness of Jesus Christ, that's exactly who we are. Compared to Him, I am a worm and Jesus died for me. It's not PC to say that anymore. And so people have tried to make it, well, don't make people feel too bad about themselves. They're not worms. Well, compared to Jesus, when he went to that cross, he was dying for me. And I'll tell you, I'm a lot closer to a worm than anything else. I'm a sinner. 
and yet Jesus loved me so. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. No more darkness. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for sins that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went to that cross for us. And thank you that you gave your life so that we could have life to save us from darkness and bring us into the light. We thank you so much for all of that you have poured out for us. And in a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper to remember your great sacrifice, the pouring out of your blood the giving of your body we pray now in this time of invitation that if there are decisions that you have laid upon the hearts of people here it may be a decision to give give their life to jesus to say yes jesus i believe you died for me i need you please forgive me and come into my life i accept what you paid for in my behalf Lord, give that person the courage now to be willing to say that and mean it. And then to stand and tell others that they've accepted you as Savior and Lord. There may be those here who need a church home and you're leading them to this church so they can work and share and serve together with these people to tell the world about you. We just want your will to be done. You lead us and now help us to be obedient to you. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and have our invitation hymn.